Please turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. I'm feeling really full of faith this morning and just so confident about what God is going to do with us. Let's just pray a moment. Father God, apart from you, I can do nothing. And apart from you, we can do nothing. And apart from you, what I have to say this morning will be nothing. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. Please bring us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and of enlightenment so that we would grasp the things that you want to teach us this morning and that they would bring change in our lives. So as Craig has told you, we're launching into the Impossible Life series. The life that Jesus has called us to is impossible unless he makes it possible. And that's what this series is about. It's about how God makes it possible for us to live the impossible life that he calls us to, to live up to the impossible standard that he sets for us. This morning, I'm going to be addressing the subject of peace. I'm just going to mention a few phrases this morning and tell me what they do to your peace. 2% tax on all transactions. What about monetary policy? What does that do? Are these things stress triggers for you? What about price increases? What about fuel queue? What does that do for your state of peace? <laughs> stress triggers. <laughs> what I want to do this morning is not to minimize the things that we are experiencing. But what I would like to do is to maximize the truths that put those things into perspective so that we can have a true perspective on what is going on. So I'm not trying to minimize what we're going through. I found it a very stressful week, just as I'm sure you've also found it a stressful week. It's probably been a week when you've been grappling for peace. This is the roadmap that I'm going to try and follow this morning so that you know where we're going. Um, the basis of peace, moving on to the source of peace, and then to the practice of peace. I experienced something on Wednesday that God used to shift my thinking about the current situation in Zimbabwe. And I'd like to explain it to you like this. Suppose the date of your death had been fixed and given to you by God. Suppose he said to you, in no uncertain terms, you will die on the 7th of December, 2018. That's exactly two months from now. Would the things that you are concerned about today change? Would it be worth allowing the 2% tax on every transfer to spoil the precious gift of the two months that you have left? Would having a fuel tank below a quarter prevent you from getting the most out of today with your wife or your husband and your children? My guess is that other things would suddenly seem a lot more important than tax or petrol. I've spoken to terminally ill people over the years. Gail has had a life-threatening disease. And many say that they are ready to die. And this is the thing that keeps them going. They say things like, I have made my peace with God. And my usual policy is to ask, well, on what basis have you made your peace with God? And the answer to that question, folks, is crucial. And it is crucial to whether you experience peace in this life or not. So let's get to it. The basis of peace. 
The Bible tells us over and over again that every man is an enemy of God until God establishes peace with that man. But how did we become enemies of God and how does, how does he make peace with us? And we're going to need to go back a little bit now to set the scene. And so stick with me. It's very important. Think for a moment of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They're a perfect and complete family. They have been for eternity past. But then they decide that they want to grow their family. They're not deciding to grow it because they're feeling unfulfilled or incomplete. They're growing it because they want to make space to have children. And so they create humans in their image so that humans can enjoy perfect love and fellowship as members of the family. And so that's what, Adam, what, what God did. He created Adam and Eve and he gave them a garden to live in. He didn't give them a tightrope to walk on. He gave them a garden, a place of space, a place of freedom. Yes, it had boundaries, but it was a place of space and freedom. However, since God knew how they had been made, and since he knew the purposes and plans that he had for them, he reserved the right to tell them what was right and what was wrong. And of course he had that right, didn't he? Because he was their creator. And so he said to Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree in the garden, symbolizing the freedom that they had living in the garden, but they were not allowed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that symbolized the fact that God determined what was right and what was wrong for them. They weren't allowed to determine for themselves what was right and what was wrong. But Adam and Eve didn't want to be told. They didn't want to be told what they could do and what they couldn't do. They wanted to decide for themselves. And so they rebelled and they became enemies of God, working against his perfect plans and purposes for the family. Now that might seem like a small thing, but just take a look. Think of it for a moment. Think of the mess in the world today. Our murder and hunger and rape and poverty and slavery and theft are these small things. Our natural disasters and diseases and plagues and famines are those small things. All of it is due to the fact that man decided what, that they wanted to know what was best for themselves and that they didn't want to pay attention to God. It says in Romans that because of man's rebellion, that creation itself was subject to decay. So not only are we subject to death and decay, so is creation. That's why there's so many natural disasters happening at the moment. That's why the amplitude and the frequency of those natural disasters is increasing. All due to the fact that we wanted to be God. We didn't want to pay attention to God. And I'm, I'm sure you can all think of times when you just wanted to leave God outside the room. Outside where you were going, you just didn't want him to come with you. You wanted to turn your back on him. Folks, we all wanted to be God. And I hope you can see how serious it is when you decide to determine what is right and wrong in your own eyes rather than God's. When you do this, you have joined the rebellion and you become an enemy of God. And every one of us has done it. Rebellion has become part of our human makeup, and we are rebels from birth. 
You think I'm going too far with that statement? How many toddlers that you know like being told what to do? Craig and Sarah? <laughs> I'm sure they do. You've got such fine children. How many teens? How many adults? Come on, guys, we're Zimbabweans. We don't like being told what to do. And so God needs to make peace with us. But how does he do it? Firstly, we must understand, now this is so important, that there is no peace without true justice. No peace without true justice. And there can be no true justice without punishment for sin. God is a God of justice. How do we know this? Do you have a strong sense of, of justice inside of you? A strong sense of injustice? If somebody does something wrong to you in the traffic, do you not want that person to be punished? The reason why we have such a strong sense of justice is because we are created in the image of God. It has been hardwired into us. We reflect God in the sense that we have a strong sense of justice. And so God will not allow sin to go unpunished. Now, what sort of punishment would he give us for turning our back on him? Just follow the logic here. I decide that I want to live my life without God because I don't want him telling me what to do and what not to do. And so I turn my back on him and I ignore him. And we've all done it. I want to separate myself from him. So wouldn't a just punishment be that he turns his back on me one day when I die? Isn't that a just punishment? Folks, hell is a continuation of the choices that we make on earth. If we choose to turn our back on God and we don't want Him to be included in our life, involved in our life, then one day when we die, unless we have made peace with God, we will be separated from Him eternally. And it's all because we've chosen, and we've all done it, folks. I know, because I've done it, to turn, chosen to turn our back on Him at some stage. So there can be no peace without justice, and there can be no justice without punishment. So how does God do it? How does he make peace without punishing us? He sent Jesus. One person, and yet with two natures. He was perfectly God, and he was perfectly human. And he was the perfect human that never sinned. And that made him an acceptable sacrifice in our place. And God punished Jesus with death and eternal separation from him. Remember we talked about that when, when we preached on Psalm 22 a couple of weeks ago. When Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because he was experiencing eternal separation from God. I know it blows our minds, but he was receiving the punishment for our sins, for our rebellion. And by doing this, God is able to declare you justified and in right standing with him. And that is the basis, folks. That's where it all starts. That is the basis of our peace with God. You can only be at peace with God when you have been put in right standing with God. Folks, you are never going to experience peace in a world that turns, that's turned its back on God unless you have made peace with God. Those who are in a state of rebellion against God are not in a state of peace. And I can tell you that there are people in church here today who are not in a state of peace with God. 
They think that they are, but they haven't fully grasped it yet. They haven't fully understood it yet. And I just pray that as I'm talking today, I'm an imperfect human being. I'm an imperfect teacher. If you don't get what I'm talking about today, please don't stop until you understand it. Don't stop until you get it. Because this is so important. And if you want to make peace with God today, just four simple things to do. First of all, ask. Ask God to forgive you for having turned your back on Him. Second of all, believe. Ask and believe. Believe that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for your sin and for your rebellion. Ask, believe, trust. Trust that just as God raised Jesus from the dead, He will raise you out of your state of rebellion into eternal life in His presence. Ask, believe, trust, and then be obedient. Allow God to decide what is good and what is bad for you and be obedient to that. If God says, don't move in with your girlfriend, don't move in with your girlfriend. If God says, don't get drunk on alcohol, don't get drunk on alcohol. Turn around. Ask, believe, trust, obey. Now the Apostle Paul, he spends the first four chapters in the letter to the Romans teaching what we've been talking about today. And he comes to a conclusion in chapter 5. Look at this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. It is the justification that gives us the peace with God. That's just what I've been talking about. The justification, putting us right with God, gives us the peace. Now what is this grace in which we now stand? It's the peace of God. And why is it called a grace? Well, it's called a grace because it isn't earned and it isn't deserved. It's a free gift which has been given to us through Jesus on the basis of faith alone. But let's not miss the implications now. We've been talking about the, the basis of our peace. Let's have a look at some of the implications. He says, I missed out uh, a bit there. So it says, um, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And then it says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Or we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And that is Paul's way of saying that we can be confident that since we have been justified, we are going to spend eternity with God in heaven. We are confident. People who boast are confident. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Part of the glory that we've lost, folks, is that death has come into the world. But we have this hope that because we have been justified with Christ, we will become like Jesus when we die, and we will be glorious like Him and we'll live forever in His presence. And then he says, not only so, but we also glory or we boast in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Remember I showed you how a death sentence 
on the 7th of December can change your perspective on what is important. What did we learn? We learned that the only thing that is of ultimate importance is whether we have peace with God or not. This is the only thing that is worth worrying about. And when this is settled, we can have confidence, we can boast in our sufferings because we know where we're going. And, this, and that, that the suffering, the hardship, it can't crush us because we keep going with the strength that God gives us. And as we persevere, our character gets developed and as our character gets developed, our hope gets bigger and bigger and our confidence gets bigger and bigger. We know where we're going. That's one of the implications of the basis of our peace. Let's move on now in the journey that we're taking to the source of peace. And I'd like to turn now to a verse that many of you will recognize from John chapter 14, verse 27. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So who is the source of peace? Jesus. Jesus is the source of peace. He says, it's my peace, and I give it to you. But then he says an interesting thing. He says, I don't give it to you as the world gives. How does the world give us peace? And just now we're going to contrast that with the way Jesus gives us peace. How does the world give us peace? It gives us peace through health and wealth. It gives us peace when things are going well. It gives us peace when things we're in control. It gives us peace when we're in a position of strength. But Jesus says later on in chapter 16 that we can enjoy peace during times of trouble. The world's peace, the peace that the world gives us, depends on our circumstances. But Jesus' peace does not. Later on, he, said, he repeats himself. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Folks, the reason why we can have peace is because we are in Christ. When you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you have been justified, as, as I've talked about it and described it, it means that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. That's the only way that you're going to experience peace. And when you get that source of peace, when Jesus is that source of peace, you will get it even in the midst of trouble. And from the context, if you go back and read John chapter 16, you will see that Jesus is talking about a time when people will think that they're doing God a service by killing Christians. Now that sounds like some pretty serious trouble. We're not in that place today. People don't think that they're doing God a service by killing us. Yes, we've got trouble, but we haven't got anywhere near that kind of trouble. And this is a kind of peace that overcomes that level of trouble. So we can handle a 2% increase. So Jesus is the source. But how does he give us his peace? Remember we talked about how the world gives us peace. Now, so how does Jesus do it? Look at the two verses that come before verse, uh, verse 27. He says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Then 
Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Jesus is the source of peace. Can you see that? We've just proven that. But who is the mediator of the peace? Who is it the one who gives us peace? It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives us peace through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, Spirit mediates that, that peace in two ways. By teaching us all things and by reminding us of everything that Jesus has said. Teaching us all things and reminding us of everything Jesus has said. Now, think of the situation that you're, you find yourself in at the moment. Wouldn't you appreciate getting some teaching on how to respond to the conditions that you find yourself in in Zimbabwe? What does it say there? It says that the Spirit will teach you all things. I mean, that sounds pretty inclusive, doesn't it? Don't you think that God wants to teach you through the Spirit how to glorify Him in the circumstances that you find yourself in? Of course He does. The Spirit is available to us on a daily basis to teach us all things. We just need to spend time listening to Him. We need to spend time in His presence. What does He also do? He also reminds us of the things that Jesus has said. You know, God has taught you so many different things throughout your life. I'm sure God has spoken many truths to you. He's shown you how to apply the Bible. There's things in the Bible that will apply to your specific situation right now at this time. And the Holy Spirit will remind you of those things. So that you can enjoy peace. That's the peace that Jesus gives us. It's a peace that comes from within us because the Holy Spirit is within us. So, the basis of the peace... The source of the peace, and now we come to the practice of peace. Does this imply, folks, that you and I are passive? Of course not. This is a partnership. Let's talk about the partnership. The first thing that we need to be doing is praying. What does Paul say in, in, in Philippians? You all know this so well, but how many of us actually do it? He says, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We all know it. And we can probably, most of us can quote it. But are we doing it? Are we spending time praying? Spending time with God? You know what tends to happen when, when things start getting out of control in my life? I start trying to figure out, I start trying to understand my situation. I start trying to understand things that actually are beyond my understanding. Why would we waste our time trying to do that when we can go to God in prayer and He can give us a peace that we experience when we don't have to understand everything? Because we can't. We cannot understand everything that's going on in Zimbabwe. We cannot understand all the dynamics that are coming into play. We're not called to do that. We are called to spend time in the Lord's presence so that the Holy Spirit can teach us all things and so that He can remind us of the things that He wants us to be doing. It's a partnership, right? Ian, this is what I want you to be worrying about today. This is what I want you to be doing today. Can you see that? I had a time um, some years ago when, when there was a, a particular person who was gunning for me, who was perse persecuting me, basically, trying to, to steal something from me. 
And he went and reported me to three different police stations. He then went and reported me to the CID Ford Squad. I had to go and appear on each occasion at the police station and CID Ford Squad. Also went to the Domestic Workers Union. It was a very, very stressful, frightening time. And I was, I was busy um, training at the time, doing swimming training. And while I was doing lengths, I was chatting to the Holy Spirit. And then suddenly I just I got the sense from the Holy Spirit, Ian, I want you to do this. And then once you've done that, this is going to go away. I don't want you to worry about it anymore. Such a specific word from God. So, so we did that. And sure enough, it went away. But during the time that I was waiting to see whether it was going to go away or not, there was anxiety was knocking at the door. But I, I just had to keep reminding anxiety, no, the Holy Spirit has said to me, this is going to go away. He was teaching me all things. He was giving me a word that was specific to my situation. That's what we're talking about here. Why wouldn't we want that? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't we want to spend time in the presence of God and with the Holy Spirit? Because He's the one who gives us peace. So that's the practice of peace. First of all, pray. Next one, trust. Isaiah 26. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. What part does God play here? He keeps people in perfect peace, doesn't he? What do those who are kept in perfect peace do? They trust. It's not that they do nothing, they trust. Now the choice before us today is perfectly clear. It really is very simple. Will you trust God or will you trust money? Does that verse say, trust in the Zimbabwe Dora? <laughs> it is the Lord. Does it say, trust in the USA? It is the Lord. It doesn't. So, practicing peace. It means that we find out what God has called us to do. And remember, that happens through prayer. We're listening to the Holy Spirit. And then we're obedient to what He's told us to do in our particular circumstances. And then we trust that God is going to do the rest. Oh, but it's so difficult, isn't it, to do that sometimes? We've got to just ask God to show us where the line is. Where He says, okay, there's the line here. On this side of the line, I want you to act, I want you to do things. But on that side of the line, I'm going to be acting and I'm going to be doing things. Don't cross the line. Because if you cross the line, then you're trying to be like God. It's blasphemy to try and be like God, to claim to be God. We, there's things we cannot control that we've got to leave God to deal with. And, but the, the, the difficulty I find, the challenge I find, is knowing where that line is. That's why we need to keep coming back. It's an Holy Spirit. Teach me all things. Remind me of things. Show me where the line is. So that I do what I'm called to do, and I leave God to be God, and to do what He's called to do. So, pray and trust. The third thing, and this is the reason why I read from Galatians, we're going to be looking at that passage now, and very briefly, a sort of a helicopter ride over it. Um, live by the Spirit. So, peace is one of the fruit of the Spirit, Right? It's mentioned in Paul's letter to, to the Galatians, which we read from. And Paul teaches us that we're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit when we live by the Spirit. So what does it mean to live by the Spirit? 
So the first part of Paul's answer to that question in Galatians is he talks about what is the opposite of living by the Spirit. It often helps us to know what something is when we know what it isn't. So that's what we're going to have a look at briefly, is what is the opposite of living in the Spirit? The first thing is slavery to legalism. Now this is going to sound like a damn squib, but please hear me out. You are enslaved by legalism when you believe that you can follow a list of do's and don'ts in order to be acceptable to God. Many people who believe in God, and I can guarantee that there are people in church today, they believe in God, but they are enslaved by legalism. People who are enslaved by legalism, some of them go to church, and some of them don't. But here's what they have in common. They hope that what they have done, they hope that their life record will be enough to earn them a pass mark. And they believe that somehow God will forgive them for the things that they've done wrong, but they don't understand on what basis God will forgive them what they've done wrong. So, yeah, no, no, I think I've done okay. I've got like 85% of my life record. Well, what about the other 15%? What is God going to do about that? And the thing is, folks, that when we become, come before God after we've died, we're either going to come before Him as children of God or as enemies of God. We're either going to come before Him in a state of peace or in a state of hostility. And we've seen that we only have peace with God when we are justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access into the state of peace in which we now stand. And so the opposite of living by the Spirit is trying to earn a place in heaven. Slavery to legalism. The second thing that Paul says that is opposite to living in the Spirit is slavery to license. He says, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. Paul has spent from the start of chapter 3 until this verse explaining that we are no longer slaves to legalism. So he says, you, my brothers, are called to be free. And then he says something which is vitally important. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. What's the flesh? The flesh finds sin attractive. The flesh is, it wants to live in rebellion to God. Before you got born again, you were controlled by the flesh. But now that we are born again, we are not free to indulge the flesh. Why? For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are, not, you are not to do whatever you want. Can you see that? If we are living according to the flesh, we are going to be in conflict with the spirit. And the spirit is the person that Jesus has given us to mediate peace to us. He's, the spirit is the one who teaches us all things, who reminds us of Jesus, who gives us the fruit of peace. Why would we want to be indulging the flesh? Because as soon as we're indulging the flesh, we're in conflict with the Spirit. Jesus gives us peace when we are controlled by the Spirit. 
The world promises us peace when we're controlled by the flesh, but it never delivers on its promise. Now Paul goes on to contrast the acts of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. I'd like you to have a quick look at that. When you look at that list, you're probably saying to yourself, what is Ian Gaiman about? I mean, I'm not, I'm not guilty of any of that stuff. I don't think I've ever had an orgy in my life before. Well, I hope most of you haven't had an orgy in your life before. <laughs> just, just hear me out on this. Remember that the world gives us peace through health and wealth, okay? It gives us peace when things are going well, when we're in control, when we're comfortable, when we're in a position of strength. And when these things are threatened, our peace is compromised, so we start fighting to protect the things that we really value. In other words, our idols, health, wealth, control, comfort, safety. And it's when we are fighting for those things that we start to manifest the acts of the flesh. How do we do it? First of all, idolatry. We show that we're actually valuing money and comfort above God. What about selfish ambition? We start riding roughshod over the needs of others in order to maintain a position of strength. We're certainly not serving one another out of love. You, my brothers, are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. I can guarantee that every person in this room has been guilty of idolatry and of selfish ambition. I don't know about the other things, but as we fight to get the peace that the world gives us, we start indulging in those things, in selfish ambition, in idolatry. So now we know what living by the Spirit doesn't look like. What does it look like? We're almost there. Paul wrote, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And then in verse 25 he says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And Paul's using two different verbs there, live by and keep in step. That's how the NIV translates it. But in fact, both verbs mean literally to walk in the Greek. But the commentators, if you read up about this, there isn't time to go into it now. Commentators tell us that the first one conveys the idea of walking alone as an individual, and the second conveys the idea of marching in step with others. So both of them are metaphors for living. So living by the Spirit means living your individual life in step with the Spirit and living in step with the Spirit and other Christians as a group. When we're living by the Spirit, we turn our back on disobedience and acts of the flesh and instead we live our lives in step with the Spirit and we live in step with the Spirit and other Christians as a group. So important for us, to, for us to be doing that, to be spending time with other Christians who are walking in step with the Spirit. That's why we don't forsake the gathering together of the saints. That's why we get plugged into a life group. It's because it helps us to walk in the Spirit. Part of walking in the Spirit is a corporate exercise of walking in step with other people who are walking in step with the Spirit. And it's also an individual exercise. 
So during the week, you'll be spending time going to God and saying, Father God, this is the situation I'm facing. Spirit, please bring your peace by explaining this to me. Come and tell me what's going on. Come and tell me what, what I need to do. And we're also walking in step with other Christians who are doing the same thing. Going to life group, talking about it. How was your week? How have you guys been processing what's been going on in Zimbabwe? What is God's perspective on all of this? Walking in the Spirit. Allowing the Spirit to take control of your life. But you know, you don't need to hear the Spirit. Um, but sorry, to allow the Spirit to take control of your life, you need to hear from the Spirit and you need to have the power to obey the Spirit. And that sounds impossible, doesn't it? It is, unless you have faith. The Christian life requires faith from first to last. It starts when we are justified through faith, but the faith doesn't end there. It continues with faith because we, we, we're living by the Spirit, we require the Spirit's help, and we activate that through faith. Let's go back very briefly over the roadmap to see where we've been today. The basis of peace. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access into this grace in which we now stand. We stand in a state of peace. The basis of our position is justification. By faith alone, in Christ alone, on the basis of grace alone. And all other expressions of peace flow from that place, from that justification. Have you made your peace with God? If you haven't, ask. Ask Him to forgive you. Believe that He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Trust that by doing that, He can raise you to a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then obey what the Spirit tells you to do. The source of peace. Jesus is the source of your peace. He doesn't give us peace as the world does. He gives it through the Holy Spirit. And how does the Spirit mediate peace? By teaching us all things and by reminding us what Jesus has said. The practice of peace, pray. Spend time connecting with God. I love Psalm 84. Craig's already preached on it. But that was at a time when there was rape and pillage going on in the land. And you'd think that the psalmist would be requesting help from God, but actually all he's saying is how much he longs to be in the presence of God. Because he knows that his greatest need is intimacy with God. That's what we need at the moment. Your greatest need at the moment is intimacy with God. Not to have petrol in your tank. Intimacy with God is what you need. Because then the Holy Spirit will be able to mediate peace to you. Trust. You will keep in perfect peace. He whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. What are you trusting in? Live by the Spirit. Every day. Say, Holy Spirit, I want to I walk in step with you. I want to be controlled by you. I'm going to say no to the flesh. And I'm going to say yes to you. 
I'm going to walk in step with you. I'm going to walk in step with other Christians that are walking in step with you. And I trust and believe that God will give you peace. An impossible thing in times like these. Because God makes it possible. Shall we pray? Father God, as we close and as we break to to take coffee together and tea and to, to go on to our lives, I ask that you would bless every member of this congregation. Father God, I ask that you would bless every person here with your peace. You say in Isaiah, Lord Jesus, that you are the Prince of Peace. We pray that you would be ruling over our lives and that we would experience your peace as the Prince of Peace controls the things that he chooses to control. And as we submit to him, do what he tells us and do and allow him to be God. Father, I pray for your blessing. I pray for your grace on everybody here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.